And uh, tonight we're really, we're really privileged to have um, uh, David Hearn with us and his wife Agnes. And uh, David is the president of the Christian uh, and Missionary Alliance in Canada. And uh, they have about just over, I think, 400 churches, 400 to 500 churches in our nation. Uh, he lives out in Toronto. And um, I met David about four months ago. And we had a, a meal together, and I just knew there's just something about it. And, and fast forward to that, I saw a video of David, and I watched the video, and I could feel the presence of God coming off the video as he talked about the Holy Spirit. And I just knew, I'm like, I don't know what, how, but we have to have this guy. There's a heart connect here. I just connected with his heart. And I just knew he's Canadian, he's in our nation, we, we just have to have him. And so I sent him a very bold email, and I just said, I feel there's a heart connection, I feel all this stuff, and he's probably like, okay, that's kind of weird, you know, I don't know you. Um, but he responded, and uh, we had a meal together, and I just, I just shared the heart, and, and I said, would you come? And so it just worked to have him here tonight. He flew in today from Toronto to be here tonight, and we're just, we're so privileged to have them both here. And... Um, uh, he also is uh, connected to a dear friend of ours, uh, Nathan Edwardson, who you remember from the Stirring in Reading, who is a dear friend of Resurgence. Uh, Nathan is his nephew, and so there's a connection, and uh, there's something uh, really cool there, and so it's just, it's just really neat, and, and I just had a meal together with David and Agnes, and so enjoyed your hearts, and uh, just know it's awesome to do ministry with friends, and just so appreciate you both, and so why don't you give a really warm welcome tonight as David Hearn comes. Come here, pal. So I, uh, I have three daughters, but if I had a son, I'd want him to be just like Travis. So there you go. It's a great guy. Well, uh, in honor of my nephew, Nathan, I actually wore the Nike shoes he gave me. In fact, uh, I've never preached in Nikes before, so this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Um, you'll notice that when I talk, I do move around a lot. And so uh, I was preaching in one venue. And uh, a woman sort of got up halfway through my message and like ran out of the uh, auditorium. And I was a little concerned. And so afterwards I went and I found her in the foyer and I said, are, are you okay, you know? And, and she said, oh, I really love what you were saying, but you were moving around so much I got motion sickness and I had to go throw up. <laughs> so if any of you get motion sickness, just put your head between your legs, you'll be okay. I felt God impress a, a word upon my heart tonight for you. It's the word of Scripture, and it, and it really, I think, defines resurgence, at least for me. So I want to just speak it out over the room tonight. Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See the darkness over the earth. Oh, the thick darkness over the peoples. But the Lord rises on you. Isn't that a great word? But the Lord rises on you. And His glory, the weight of His presence, hovers over you. And the nations of the world will be drawn to your light. Now that's radical. The nations of the world will be drawn to your light. And the kings, the people of influence, will be pulled, magnetically pulled 
to the brightness of your dawn. And so I say, in Jesus' name, make it so. And so I prayed over you these wonderful thoughts. I said, oh, God, tonight, would the love of God the Father fall fresh on you? That if there's any place in your soul where you feel fearful, any place in your soul where you feel it's kind of chaotic, or, or any place where you feel kind of very uncertain, that in this moment you would experience the full weight of the incredible love of God the Father, and that you would be enveloped in shalom tonight. And then I prayed, oh, Lord, would your grace, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, just sweep over us like a mighty wave, like an incredible tidal wave. Because I want to declare to you, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that great news? I mean, not only has your sin been forgiven, but hallelujah, your shame has been taken away. You do not have to live in the shadow places anymore. And I think some of you need to come out into the glorious light of God's radical forgiveness and actually be set free in Jesus' name tonight. And then I like got really excited. And I prayed, oh, Holy Spirit of the living God, would you fall fresh on us tonight? Would you fill us with a fearlessness, with a holy boldness? Because, friends, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in you. Is that not revolutionary? So I want to say to you tonight, be strong and courageous. May every place that you put your foot, demons would have to flee. Because they would recognize the authority, the presence, and the power of the Holy Spirit of God igniting your soul. So are you ready for resurgence? Are you ready for renewal? Are you ready for revival? Because I am convinced that God is on the move in Canada. And I see a holy hunger rising from coast to coast. And the beautiful thing is, it encompasses all of the denominations. Isn't that great? Because we all recognize, without a fresh touch of the power and presence of Almighty God, we will never reach this nation for Jesus. And so, we're hungry. Oh, we're like really thirsty. <laughs> and that's all you have to bring tonight. To encounter the fullness of what God has for you. So Spirit of the living God. We've already been captured. In the midst of worship tonight. And we declare again you are a good, good father. And we experience your love because you call us your children. And we are not worthy of that love, but through Jesus and through the sacrifice of Jesus, we are recipients of lavish grace. Unbelievable. And so, breath of God, breathe on us tonight. Because we don't want to just have another religious gathering. We want to actually have an encounter. An encounter with the living Christ that is so revolutionary and so transformative that we become beacons of that revolution in Edmonton, Calgary, throughout Alberta, British Columbia, all the way to the Atlantic provinces. Oh, God, bring fresh fire in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I began in ministry over 30 years ago. 
And I'm actually a BC kid, but God put us all the way out in Ontario. And I was a youth pastor in a fairly small conservative alliance church. But every summer, I would give one week of my time to look after junior high boys in a junior high boys Bible camp. Now, junior high boys are very interesting creatures, are they not? (laughs) You never quite know what you're going to get. I was leading one camp, and it wasn't going overly well. The boys were really lethargic. They weren't overly interested in spiritual things. And so as we came to the end of the week, I was in charge of the closing campfire. And I had what I thought was a brilliant idea. I was going to tell the story of Elijah calling down fire from heaven. But before the boys arrived, we put all the logs in a fire pit and we doused them with gasoline. And then we connected a wire to one of those logs and we hid one of our youth workers up in a tree. And on that wire was a toilet paper roll also doused in gasoline. And this is how it was going to go. I was going to tell the riveting story of Elijah confronting the prophets of Baal. And when we would come to that climactic moment, the boys would look up in the sky. They'd see a spark. No, they'd see a flame. And the flame would come down, hit the fire pit. There would be a mammoth explosion. And junior high boys would give their hearts to Jesus. I thought it was a brilliant plan. By the way, do not try this at home. Everything was arranged. The boys came. There was great anticipation. Flashlights in front of their faces. And as I began to tell this dramatic story, I got a little long-winded, and all of the gas in the fire pit actually evaporated. And so when we came to that climactic moment, the boys looked up in the sky. Oh, they saw a spark. No, they saw a flame. The flame came down, hit the fire pit, and immediately went out. And one of the junior high boys in the back of the group yelled out in a loud voice, Great story, but where's the fire? I've never forgotten that. Because, friends, as I travel around and speak in churches and various venues, sometimes I actually find myself asking the same question. Oh, wonderful facility, but where's the fire? Oh, incredible worship, but where was the fire? Oh, amazing preaching, but where is the fire? The palpable presence of the manifest, living, resurrected Jesus that transforms fear-filled disciples into faith-filled missionaries for the kingdom of God. We need new, fresh, dynamic visitation from the Holy Spirit of God to revolutionize our church, to ignite our hearts again in Jesus' name. Because I'm going to declare it to you tonight. Across Canada and every one of our churches, we do not need better strategies. We do not need more effective methods. We do not even need more compelling visions. What we are desperate for is men and women full of the Holy Spirit and fire. That's what we're desperate for. John said that he, Jesus, would ignite the kingdom of God within you. Isn't that great? A fire within you. The Holy Spirit within you transforming you from the inside out. i got to tell you, friends, now is a time when we need a fresh igniting of the Spirit of God within us. Because God promises to saturate or submerge us in the Holy Spirit and in fire. He wants every area of our lives and every cell of our bodies dripping with His presence and fully under His influence. I love Christmas Evans. Isn't that a great name, by the way? A great revivalist from years ago said, Revival is God bending down into the dying embers of a fire just about to go out and breathing into it until it bursts into flame. 
Some of you may be here tonight and you say, I get the first part of that really well. But oh God, breathe on us tonight. Breathe on us tonight. Because here is the profound truth. That mission without holy fire only leads to humanitarianism. We can do a lot of good things, but no lives will be radically changed for eternity. But friends, holy fire without mission actually leads to fanaticism. It just gets a little weird. But here's the good news. Holy fire together with mission actually lead to revolution. And here's my heart for tonight. We can be so afraid of wildfire, our false fire, that we settle for no fire and accept it as normal. And I am a man on a mission saying that is not normal Christianity. What we need is Holy Spirit fire in our hearts, in our churches, if we're ever going to reach Canada and beyond with the good news of Jesus Christ. A.W. Tozer, a great writer, said these profound words. He said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. Isn't that a paralyzing statement? But he goes on to say, if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament, 95% of what they did would stop immediately and everybody would know the difference. So this is what God is calling us to. Oh, let me make it really personal tonight. (laughs) I'm going to dare you tonight. Because I think this is what God is calling you to. This is what God is calling me to. He's calling us into a fire-filled encounter of Christ-revealing, heart-reviving, sin-defeating, and hallelujah, boldness-producing Holy Spirit power. I love what Bill Johnson says. He says that we tend to camp around the worship. Or maybe we even camp around a particular gathering. Or we camp around a particular event. But Israel actually camped around the presence. Isn't that good? And I think that's why you're here tonight. That's why you're part of this movement. Because you long for a fresh and deep and fuller encounter of the incredible presence of God. When God descended on Mount Sinai, it says that the mountain was covered with smoke because God had descended upon it in fire. And then you go to the day of Pentecost. This gets really cool. You go to the day of Pentecost and the 120 were gathered together in the upper room. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God came. And there was a sound like a mighty rushing wind. You know it, don't you? And then there were tongues of fire that came and descended upon everyone in the room. You know what that was? That was mini Mount Sinai's. God's presence in fire was now coming upon every one of them as individuals, was revolutionizing them from the inside out so that they would go and be revolutionaries for the kingdom of God. Oh, fire of God, fall fresh upon us again in Jesus' name. I want to take you into Acts chapter 3 and Acts chapter 4 for a few moments tonight. Because here we see in dynamic picture what holy fire looks like at ground level. What it actually looks like in the lives of the disciples. And I want to suggest to you, first of all, that when holy fire falls, the supernatural power of God is released. It's three in the afternoon. Peter and John are going up to the temple, as they have always done. And they go through the gate beautiful, and they encounter a man. A man who has been crippled since birth. 
Now, what amazes me is how many times they go by that same guy, the same routine, but now they are men full of the Holy Spirit and fire, and everything looks different. And i got to tell you, when you've been encountered by the Holy Spirit of God, everything around you looks different. Amen? You do not see your neighbors the same. You do not see your workplace the same. You do not see the city in which you live as the same. You see it as an opportunity for incredible, supernatural manifestations of God's Spirit to revolutionize those around you. And so get this. As they encounter the man, he looks at them. They look at him. And then I love these words. Peter and John say, look at us. Now, I don't know about you, but if you're begging for your very sustenance of life, and two guys that seem to have a little bit of cash on hand actually pay attention to you, you think this is Lotto 649. This is going to be a really good day. This guy has no idea how good it's going to get. <laughs> because Peter looks at him, and with great boldness, he declares, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk and instantly this man whose legs have been anemic since birth all of a sudden feel for the first time energy and strength surging through them his ankles and his feet come into absolute created perfection and i love what the text says he doesn't gradually get to his feet he jumps to his feet and he begins to praise and adore god this has been a manifestation of God's supernatural power. I love what Bill Johnson declares. He says, listen, miracles are not the whole gospel, but neither is the gospel whole without miracles. Amen? And I think we live in a day when we ought to be people who actually expect miraculous interventions of Almighty God. I don't know about you, but he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, right? Come with hunger. <laughs> Come with expectation. I'm looking out and I'm saying, somebody's going to get healed here tonight. Somebody's going to get set free tonight. Somebody's going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit tonight. Why would we not come with that kind of radical expectation? Because God is sovereign. Because God is holy. Hallelujah. He's unstoppable and he's uncontainable. Are you ready? I dare you. So I was preaching in one of our churches. <laughs> and I'm, I'm preaching this text. And uh, I just said, you know, sort of just, just off the cuff, I said, wouldn't it be amazing if God healed somebody in this church right now? And as I said that, there was a woman who had come into that church that day. She came in with a crutch because she had been unable to walk for a long, long time. And as I actually said those words, God instantly healed her in the congregation. And she knew she was healed, but she thought she better test it out. And so while I'm preaching, she walks to the back of the church. And you got to know, she's walking. I'm wondering, what is she doing? And then all of a sudden, she turns around, and she's running in the back of the church. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then at the end, I, I, gave, a, I gave an opportunity for people to come forward. And she was the first one there. And I remember as she knelt down, I was kneeling beside her. And, and then she got up and walked away, and she left her crutch at the, at the front of the, the, the church. And I'm like a real sensitive pastor, so I took her crutch and I said, excuse me, I think you left this at the altar. And she said, exactly. <laughs> it was a great moment. She said, God healed me today. And I remember her and her husband as they left the church, he has the crutch over his shoulder like this incredible trophy of God's amazing healing power. <laughs> 
And the longing of my heart is, when will that become more normative in our churches? So I got a call from an Iranian church in, in British Columbia. And the pastor said to me, this, this is his opening lines. He says, there has been an outbreak of healing in our church. Right? This is going to be a good conversation. I'm ready for this. I said, tell me what happened. He said, we were reading James chapter 5, and uh, we realized that we'd never, ever invited people forward and, and anointed them with oil and prayed for them. And so we decided that next Sunday we would do that. And one of our elders said, well, what kind of oil should we use? And another elder said, well, Costco's got good oil. So they buy four liters of cooking oil from Costco. Talk about expectation. This is good. So at the end of the service, the pastor gives, gives a, a, a call for people to come forward to be healed. The entire church comes forward. And everyone they anointed and prayed for was instantly healed. It was unbelievable. People were delivered of demonic oppression. Uh, people who had chronic illnesses were instantly delivered. It's documented. Uh, people who had, had car injuries were, were actually relieved of pain instantly in the presence of God. One woman who had a skin disease, they watched as God reformatted the skin on her arms and legs into that which was beautiful and pristine. I remember standing in front of this woman as she said over and over again, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Now, folks, I'm a good theologian. And don't misunderstand me here. There are moments when God calls us to, to go into periods of, of suffering. I get that. And God doesn't heal in every situation. And it's not about the healing. It is about the healer. It is that which brings glory to God. But can I be blunt with you? I think we give up too soon. I honestly do. I was speaking not too long ago. And a good friend of mine was in the audience and uh, he texted me right after the message, and this is what he said. He said, David, I have suffered from scoliosis since I had polio when I was seven years old. I have been prayed for for over a hundred times. Key statement. Prayed for for over a hundred times. He said, the pain lately has been so debilitating. Last night, faith welled up in me again as you were speaking. So I, I came forward, and I asked God to send someone to pray for my back. And a guy came. I didn't even know who he was. And he said, this morning I woke up without back pain for the first time in 18 years. So there may be some of you here tonight. Maybe you're on 99. I don't know. But all I'm saying is that until God definitively says he's not going to heal you, then keep asking. Keep coming in faith. Keep coming with expectation. In fact, tonight, resurgence, I want you in Jesus' name to declare war on the mood of non-expectation. Declare war on it. Because God wants to see people delivered in Jesus' name. God wants to see marriages healed and wayward sons and daughters come home. He is a God of reconciliation. I think he's a good father. He's a good, good father. And friends, when the holy fire of God falls, then the supernatural power of God is unleashed. But I want to also suggest to you that when the holy fire of God falls, it revives the heart. Now, notice what happens next. Don't you really wish you would have been there? This crowd begins to gather. I mean, all of a sudden, this man that they've seen for years in the, by the gate beautiful 
is now jumping up and down. He's praising God. A large group gathers, and Peter thinks it would be a great time to preach. I think it would be a great time to preach. And so Peter says, fellow Israelites, why are you staring at us? As if it is by, by some sense of our holiness or our power that this man has been healed. Let it be known that the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers has shown favor to his servant Jesus. Isn't that a great moment? And then he gets to the punchline of the message. And this is powerful. i got to tell you, when the holy fire of God falls... Your words become weighty. And notice what Peter says. This is the big idea of his message. You killed the author of life. He's preaching in Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus was crucified. You killed the author of life. But God has raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of that fact. And then hear his heart. Repent. Repent then. Turn to God that he may wipe away all of your sins and send times of refreshing. Isn't that what resurgence is about? <laughs> you actually believe that God is bringing times of refreshing to Canada, but times of refreshing will never come without first repentance. It always comes in that order. So I have a good friend of mine, well into his 30s, um, not married, still a bachelor, and he's the messiest housekeeper you can imagine. He lives in a small apartment. There are times when he does not wash his dishes for over three weeks. Can you imagine? Travis, not talking about you, okay, buddy? You're off the hook. Nobody in this room. So he said, one day he's in his, uh, in his apartment. Some friends come over for a surprise drop-in visit. And he realized that by the time that he buzzed them into his apartment, to the time they were at his apartment door, he had 60 seconds to clean up his kitchen. So he ran into his kitchen, took all of his dirty dishes off the counter, all of his pots and pans, and stuffed them inside his oven. And then he closed the door of his oven, and he wiped the counters clean so his kitchen looked absolutely pristine. And his friends came in, and they said, We've got a pizza, but it's cold. Where's your oven? He said, the most humiliating moment of my life was having to open up my oven and my friend saw all my dirty dishes. So uh, what's in your oven? We can become masters at the image. We can perfect the art of making the exterior of our lives look so pristine, and yet inside the deepest parts of us, there's junk and debris. You know what's keeping us from revival? Secrets. John Bradshaw said, you are as sick as the secrets you keep. I gotta tell you, folks, we need to live in the light. We need to live in the light as Jesus is in the light. And I just want to bring you good news. I want to tell you the best oven cleaner I know is Jesus Christ. Amen? Like serious folks, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the victorious Christian life is not about trying harder. It's actually about radical surrender. It is the call in Jesus' name to die. 
die to yourselves. That the life and vibrancy of the risen Lord might permeate your soul and set you free in Jesus' name. No more secrets. Some of you tonight need to go to a trusted friend and you need to do some confession. And not that you haven't confessed to God and not that God hasn't already forgiven you. Please don't misunderstand me. But you need someone else in your life to put his hand on your shoulder and simply say, in Jesus' name, you're forgiven, you're free, no more shame on your life. So there's a resurgence in Cuba. Can you believe this? A revival in Cuba. 20 ordinary pastors got together with a vision. And their vision was to start a prayer movement. To have someone praying every hour of every day, 365 days of the year, for revival to come to Cuba. Agnes and I were there at the first annual prayer conference sanctioned by the communist government. There were over 50 different denominations present. This was unbelievable. 450 spiritual leaders gathered together for what? Prayer. It was wonderful. And you got to know, as they began to pray together, the Spirit of God descended upon them. And the very first order of business was repentance. And you know how it was evidenced? They began to spontaneously wash one another's feet. Because these denominational leaders had been so critical of each other. They'd slandered each other. There was no unity of the church in Cuba. And so all of a sudden, there was this outbreak of spontaneous repentance. The washing of feet. The Baptists were washing the Pentecostals' feet. The Pentecostals were washing the Baptists' feet. The alliance was confused. We washed everybody's feet. It was wonderful. (laughs) And then fire fell. And we watched as these Cuban leaders stood to their feet. And in Spanish, they began to chant over and over again, Christ for Cuba, Cuba for the nations. Christ for Cuba, Cuba for the nations. And the Cuban church is now ready to send out its first missionaries. And they're going to the Arab nations of the world, the hardest to reach people in the world. So here's my question. If God can bring revival... (laughs) To a communist-dominated island nation, is it possible that God could actually bring revival to Canada? You ever thought of that's why you're here? (laughs) That somehow the discontent of your soul, the hunger for more that God has implanted within you, isn't just about you. It's about a nation. It's about a world. It's about a world. When the holy fire of God falls, the supernatural is unleashed. When the holy fire of God falls, our hearts are revived. But when the holy fire of God falls, it actually revitalizes our mission. Notice what happens as we go into chapter 4. This gets so good. Not everybody's very excited about the revival that's broken out. In fact, three arch enemies, the temple guard... The chief priests and the Sadducees, they hate each other. They all of a sudden become fast friends. Because now they have seen something that is far more dangerous than each other. That there are men, Peter and John, who are proclaiming that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. That's a threat. So they throw them into jail. 
And the next day, the Inquisition comes. All of the top leaders, all of the great theologians, and this is their question. We want to know in what name and by what power was this man healed? Great question, boys. Notice what it says. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, elders and rulers of Israel, if we are being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a lame man, and if you are asking us how it is that he was healed, then you and all of Israel, let it be known that it was in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Ba-boom. Isn't that great? Oh, it gets better. Then he goes on to declare, for there is no other name. No other name under heaven given among mankind whereby you must be saved. And when they saw the incredible courage of Peter and John and recognized that they were ordinary and unschooled men, they took note. They were absolutely astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Is that not what you want here? <laughs> if somebody was to say, what is resurgence about? Well, we're, we're hanging out with Jesus. That'd be beautiful. Our people said, I don't know what's going on. We see some amazing things that God is doing. All we can do is be amazed and say, you must be hanging out with Jesus. Oh, that's what I want in our churches in Canada. That's what I want in our people. Now, I feel really bad for these religious leaders because the guy who is healed won't go home. He continues to jump and praise and adore God. And so what are they going to do? They have a little meeting. They go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to scold them. We're going to tell them they can no longer preach in the name of Jesus. And so they scold them. They tell them they can't preach anymore. And I love Peter's response. You're going to have to make a judgment call whether we're going to obey you or whether we're going to obey God. But we cannot help but speak about the things that we've seen and we have heard. When will we know a revival has come to Canada? When believers can't help but talk about Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if every coffee shop... <laughs> where there was a believer present. We weren't talking about politics. We weren't talking about the economy. We weren't talking about sports. I know, City of the Champions. I hear it. I get it. <laughs> but what if the topic of conversation was that we could not help but speak about the things that we have seen and we have heard in Jesus? That is the heartbeat of revival. That is what is going to change a nation. Well, I just got back from northern Iraq. I got to tell you, folks, the Middle East is a mess. But here's the good news. Jesus is a master at taking the mess and transforming it into places where life is emerging in the heart of the Middle East. We are seeing in this day more Muslims come to Christ than at any other time in human history. In fact, in the 20-somethings in Iraq, there is a massive move away from Islam because of ISIS. The fastest-growing religion in Iraq, our worldview in Iraq, is actually atheism. Now, I talked to one of our leaders there, and I said, why atheism? And he said, well, well because 
because they believe that there is only one God, they're actually taking a sabbatical in Islam, but very quickly they're converting to Christianity. And we are seeing not just hundreds, we're seeing thousands who are coming to Christ in the Middle East. This is unbelievable. <laughs> this is unheard of. And we've now had an opportunity to reach a completely unreached people group in northern Iraq, the Yazidis. 650,000. They were decimated by ISIS. ISIS broke into their villages. They fled for their lives. They raped their women. They killed their men. And they fled to a place called Duhuk. We have a church in Duhuk. And I was there, and we were handing out blankets and expressing love. And we, we couldn't hand out Bibles. It was against the law. But we could let them steal our Bibles. It was a great moment. <laughs> and so we, we had a table full of Bibles. And, and we turn our backs. And look at this little guy. He's running away with a Bible. This is great. For the first time in human history, the Yazidis of northern Iraq have the Word of God and they're reading it and we are seeing our very first Yazidi believers. I met Dr. Dillon there. Dr. Dillon was a brand new Christian. And he was a dentist and he was leaving his dentist practice because he wanted to support the church and wanted to care for the, the 1.8 million displaced people who are in Iraq. And uh, his father-in-law was very, very upset about this. And so his father-in-law came to our church and offered us $200,000 American money not to work with his son. We didn't take the money. <laughs> but Dr. Dillon went to his father-in-law and he said these words. He said, people have come from all over to join ISIS and are now here destroying and killing and bringing fear. But now Christians are coming from all over the world and they are bringing help, and love and hope. Which religion would you choose? I'm going to be a Christian. And I'm going to help them. I stood up to preach in one of our churches. And this is what I saw. This is the most humbling moment of my life. Many of these people you're seeing here fled from Mosul. When ISIS swept into Mosul. They barely got out with their lives. And yet, do you see people who are discouraged? Do you see people who are dismayed? <laughs> Do you know what you see? You see the end of chapter 4 of the book of Acts. As Peter and John come back to the church, and the church hears all about the persecution, what does the church ask for? Get us out of Jerusalem? No way. The church says, show up, God, with greater signs and wonders, and give us greater boldness to preach your word. Yes, that's happening in Iraq. This is your family in Iraq, friends. And they're saying, we don't want to leave Iraq. This is our moment for God's power to be unleashed. And in that meeting, I saw what I believe happened to the book of Acts. Because it says in chapter 4, verse 32, And the place where they were meeting was shaken. And I say, oh God, just shake our churches a little bit, would you? Just shake our churches. And everyone, can, maybe I should, yeah. I wreck more microphones. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's happening in the heart of Iraq. 
We are seeing a mighty revival in the midst of a war zone. And this is what I want to declare over you tonight. That the very strategies that Satan uses to defeat the church actually become the very things that fuel the church into the heart of revival. So if you're in a hard place tonight, don't run from it. Embrace it. Watch God transform it and ignite your heart for revival. That is God's call upon his church. So I want to conclude with this last picture. My mother is going to be 89 years old in a couple of weeks. She is the most on fire, spirit-filled woman that I know. A few years ago, she was in her ground-level apartment in a place called Abbotsford, British Columbia. She was talking to her friend Phyllis on the phone. Now, here it is, gang. Phyllis is deaf and my mom's deaf. Can you imagine that conversation? They are like screaming at each other over the phone, right? So as my mom is screaming at Phyllis, and Phyllis is screaming at my mom, a young man, high on drugs, breaks into my mom's ground-level apartment, goes past the room where she's screaming at Phyllis, goes into her bedroom, steals all of her money, all of her jewelry, and her car keys, goes into the underground parking, finds my mom's car, starts it up, drives it through the big iron gate. There is a huge crash. Everybody in the condo hears it except my mother. The police are called. 30 minutes later, they catch the thief. They get my mom's car back, her money back, her jewelry back. My mother does not even know she's been robbed. <laughs> Constable Frank shows up at the door, and mom finally figured out something was out of place. And, and so Constable Frank says, all right, Mrs. Hearn, we've got everything under control. We've got your car back. We've got your jewelry. And here's your $35. And my mom said, but I only had $25. <laughs> and, and the police officer said, you keep it, dear. You keep it. <laughs> Fast forward a few months. My mom found out that the young man was going to plead guilty. She phoned me and said, David, I want to go to that sentencing hearing. And I said, Mom, why do you want to go? She said, I want to be able to tell that young man face to face that I forgive him and that I'm praying for him. No fear. Just an opportunity. And so we show up at the, uh, the court, and on one side of the courtroom is my mother, my middle daughter, and myself, and on the other side is the young man's mother. And as we're waiting for the judge to come, in comes the young man's lawyer. I recognize him immediately. He's a personal friend of mine. He's a part-time pastor, part-time lawyer. How that works out in the economy of God, I'm not sure. <laughs> He's amazing at both. So he said, David, what are you doing here? And I said, it looks like your client robbed my mother. He goes, oh, great. <laughs> he said, what's your mother doing here? And I said, she wants your client to know she forgives him and that she's praying for him. All of a sudden, judge comes in, all rise. Young man comes in behind a glass enclosure with a, with a sheriff beside him. And, and immediately, my friend goes to the podium and says, your honor, could I ask for a special privilege? And it was granted. He said, I've been a lawyer for years. And whenever the victim shows up in the courtroom, and the victim over here is Mrs. Hearn, they're usually here to make sure the perpetrator gets the full extent of the law. But he said, Mrs. Hearn is here for a different reason. She actually wants my client to know that she forgives him and that she's praying for him. The courtroom went silent. Afterwards, that provincial court judge went to, the, to my friend, the lawyer, and said these exact words, I hate people of faith. They make my job so difficult. Isn't that great? <laughs> the judge turned to the young man. It was a penetrating moment. He said, today in this courtroom, you have been offered a moment of mercy. 
He said, I'm only going to sentence you to half the amount of time that I originally was because of Mrs. Hearn. Now, what do you need to say to her? And this 21-year-old this guy looks at my mother and goes, I'm really sorry. And my mother stands to her feet and goes, it's all right, you're forgiven. It was so powerful. It's just amazing. <laughs> Sentence is handed down, court is dismissed. My mother walks over and embraces the young man's mother and says, I'm going to pray for your boy. And the woman said, boy, he needs prayer. A few months ago, got an email from that lawyer. He said, you'll never believe it, Dave, but the guy who robbed your mother has become a believer. And he's actually going to be baptized. He's actually going to be baptized. And I'm wondering if your mom could come. And my mom was a little too frail, a little too old to come. But there is, this, his name is Clark. There he is getting baptized. And, and here's, what, here's what my friend the lawyer wrote. He said, it was the most amazing baptism my wife and I have ever experienced. Clark brought 10 of his unsafe friends. And the most surprising of it all was his mother was not only there, but had seen the change in Clark, started attending church, and became a Christian five weeks ago. She got baptized too. So I included her pictures of her baptism as well. They gave their testimonies. It was a blessed event. Thanks so much to your mom and the role she played in Clark's life. He thought it very cool that I'd be sending her pictures of his baptism. So Agnes and I were at my mom six weeks ago. It gets better. This is so cool. I got a hold of Clark and I said, would you be able to come and visit my mother? So th this is seven weeks ago. This is really fresh, you guys. We spend three hours with Clark. And he talks about the power of God that broke into the most darkest places of his soul and saved him and set him free he said to my mom I robbed a few more houses since I robbed yours he said I may have to go back to jail for a little while longer but then he said these most profound words I no longer go back as a prisoner I go back as a preacher this is amazing this is the place of the crime my mother says I want to pray for you in the place of the crime, she prays the prayer of consecration. Ah, oh, feels like revival. The very strategy that Satan uses to discourage us becomes the very place that revival begins. So I want to give you a gift tonight. I'm going to actually ask you to stand as we conclude. And it comes all the way from Cuba. And no, it's not cigars, okay? It's not cigars. Oh, it's like so much better. As we were leaving Cuba, 20 of our leaders stood around us. And I'll never forget that moment as one of them cupped his hands like this. And he said, David, I want you to imagine in my hand is the, the fire, the flame of revival that's come to Cuba. And then he asked me to cut my hands in a similar fashion. I'll never forget it. He walked over toward me and he put that flame symbolically into my hands. And this is an exact quote. He said, could you take this back to Canada? They really need it there. Can you believe he said that? We really need it here. You really need it here. So I'm going to dare you tonight. I'm going to dare you to cup your hands and I'm going to give you a flame that comes all the way from Cuba 
But it's dangerous. It's a dangerous flame. Because as you receive it, if you dare to receive it, I'm going to ask you to pull it into your chest and I'm going to say, Spirit of the living God, fill me. And maybe you say, I've already been filled once. Do you know you can actually get filled fuller again and again? Like, may God expand your capacity to receive more? (laughs) Wouldn't that be so cool? So I'm going to dare you to say, Spirit of the living God, fill me fuller, deeper, overwhelm me, saturate me in your presence. And then the next is even more daring than that. And God, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, and whenever you want me to do it, my answer in advance is yes. Take a deep breath. This is the moment of renewal. This is it. And so, resurgence, I give you the flame. 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 Jim Elliot, a great missionary, once asked the penetrating question, am I ignitable? Oh God, deliver me from the dreaded asbestos of other things and saturate me with the oil of the Spirit that I might be ablaze. Spirit of the living God, you just fall fresh on us tonight. I sense this is just a very thin place. For some of us, we need to actually let go of the very thing we're trying to control and just invite you in to overwhelm us with your holy fire. You are so loved. You are so loved. And I'm just going to declare that this space here is safe. And for some of you, you need to just come out from where you're standing and you need to come forward and you need to just bow in the presence of Jesus and you need to just mark this moment of declaring yes. So, I invite you to come.